By the way, oh, I wanted to point out, this is so exciting for me, my first ever standard deck, my like Nemesis of Mortals Nighthowler deck, is finally legal in a format. It was not legacy legal because it has Deathrite Shamans in it, and now I can play Pioneer. <laughs> we finally <laughs> did it, after all this time. You should. I have it okay. together, it's upstairs! Free at last. Do it! Free at last. <laughs> okay. Welcome to episode number 46 of The Memory Jar. We're the friendly Magic the Gathering podcast here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me as always is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, what's going on? Have you been uh, drafting Throne of Eldraine, making some Pioneer decks, playing Brawl on Arena? Well, I'm making Pioneer decks now, let me tell you. Um, I'm also practicing standard for an upcoming Magic Fest in Richmond that we're both going to be attending. Yeah, that's exciting. We can talk a little more about that later. We want to welcome to the show today a repeat guest, a guest who will be there in Richmond, although playing at the Mythic Championship, and a guest who's certainly been a listener favorite, our friend Star City Games commentator, Grixis enthusiast, and soon-to-be Mythic Championship competitor, Ryan Overturf. Hey, what's going on? Uh, Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we're, we're excited. So this is your uh, fourth time. So you are extremely due for the memory jar, come on our show, win a mythic championship thing we've got going. That tracks. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I was saying to everybody before I top forward the Grand Prix. I said, you know, I'm like really unreasonably due to qualify for a pro tour. And what you're saying, that, that makes sense to me. People like go on your podcast, win mythic championships. So Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to keep the streak alive here, you know? And it always pays off at some point. Correlation, causation, you know, it always works. <laughs> What's the difference? There. Don't take a logic class. Just trust us. Yeah. It totally works. <laughs> I'm in good hands. It totally works. That's right. So you were last on in episode 23, and so now we're 23 episodes later, and you're back again. We've rebranded. What do you think of the rebrand? So I don't know if I'm pulling the curtain back too far here, <laughs> but I feel directly responsible for your rebrand. Uh, so when you told me your podcast was called Let's Remember Some Cards, I thought that's a really clunky and an elegant name. It clearly must be a reference to something. So I went on the internet and tried to find, you know, do a little Google foo. What, what is this referencing? I came across a baseball podcast called Let's Remember Some Guys. Yeesh. And so next time I saw Dave, I was like, yes, you like big on this baseball podcast? And he said, oh, no. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, I remember... If this happening in real time, like looking up and finding a YouTube video where they were literally cracking a pack of baseball cards and remembering <laughs> the guys on the cards, and we were like, uh, we need a new name. And we had previously, someone suggested to us, hey, why didn't you just call it the memory jar? And that was a forehead smack moment, so we were overdue. It was time. Yeah, the memory jar is a good change for sure. All right, thank you. Yeah. Real quick call out to the person who designed the logo, Chris Yates. Thank you for designing our logo. We really appreciate it. It's very memory jar-esque. So listeners, we are recording this in the heart of October. The weather has turned a little colder and Halloween is approaching. So we thought this would be the perfect time to bring Ryan back to talk about one of his cube creations, the Spooky Cube. So we'll ask Ryan to talk about the cube and then we'll try a sample pack to play What's the Pick. Before we get into the main topic, like we always do, let us crack open the memory jar. Oh, we got a nice one this week. This week, it is Ninja of the Deep Hours. 
We got a version from Commander 2018, but this is a card originally from Betrayers of Kamigawa. Three and a blue for a 2-2 human ninja. It has ninjutsu for one and a blue, so you could return an unblocked attacker you control to your hand and put this into play tapped and attacking instead. And then when it deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. Eek. That card is nice. Um, I actually played with this card before the set even came out. It used to be a promotion where game stores would get a stack of commons from the upcoming set. For Betrayers, it was Ninja of the Deep Hours. I got them at the local Shinders, a <laughs> uh, business that no longer exists due to some uh, nefarious dealings at the top of the company, should we say. Um, but yeah, big fan of this card. Played it a lot then. Played it a lot in Popper. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, it saves your creatures, but also, like, it's an Ophidian effect, right? Is that what it's still called? Like, it's almost a 21-year-old reference, so I don't know if that even tracks anymore as a relevant reference for this. But To contextualize that, how old you think Ophidian sounds is how old new players think Ninja of the Deep Hours sounds. Hmm, fair. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Christian's got his head in his hands. He's, <laughs> he's feeling it. He's breaking out the walker. Put me in a grave right now. <laughs> Yeah, Ninja of the Deep Hours is a cool card. As you mentioned, it's become kind of a popper staple. And it got a lot of attention during Modern Horizons because of the ninjas theme. They, they brought us a bunch of new ninjas, and so people are like, oh, can I play a ninjas deck in Modern? The answer is extremely no. No, not remotely. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. However. No, not. No, no. But it gave Commander some more ninjas. So, sure. you know, the whole Commander Masters fit worked for another week or so. This is a card I would like to see in Limited. Stop reprinting in Commander sets and put it in some Master set. Uh, I, I jam with this boy. There was some ninja stuff in Modern Horizons. Explored the mechanic a little bit more. I like that ninja that's just a six-power creature. Like, watch out. It's going to sneak up on you and just really club you <laughs> oh, the, good. The casual 6-3 for 4 that's <laughs> yeah. just a lava axe that sticks around. I am so into that card. Yeah, that card was awesome. That's not sneaky. That's just, like, punch to the head. Like, come on. That's not. Is that a true ninja? It's a sneaky punch I don't to know. the head. Yeah, it's like one of those old kung fu movies where the guy shows up in his like ninja outfit, but he like pulls his hand out from behind his back, and it's made of like molten lava or something. It's the Reese's peanut butter cup with the chocolate being sneakiness and peanut butter being getting punched in the head. No, that's fair. That's good. That's fair. And then it's a seasonal Reese's where there's like more peanut butter. Yeah, it only comes yeah. out uh, in fall <laughs> when there's an unblocked attacker. <laughs> So, serious question, um, do you think they'll ever reskin ninjutsu to actually be something that is not uh, tied to Asian theme planes, so we can get probably a ninja the deep hours that's a little more evergreen? Uh, it's like a mechanic that you're obviously reusing if they give it a different name. This is the kind of thing, it's templated in a way where you could do the thing where Tireless Tracker doesn't have landfall, you know what I mean? Right. You can yeah. put this mechanic without right. a keyword in a set. They don't have to go back to Kamigawa to reuse the mechanic, and they've shown us that you can print it in supplemental products between the uh, ninja legendary creature in Commander and then all of the cards in Modern Horizons. It seems like it's it's around kind of on the fringes. That's probably where it should be. It's very powerful. Yeah. Well, that was fun to talk about some ninjas, but for today's episode, we're going to talk about something a lot more spooky in that we're going to talk about Cube. For those who haven't had the pleasure of playing Cube, a Cube is a curated collection of cards designed to be repeatedly drafted. Cubes are often 360 cards, which allow you to have an 8-player draft where each player gets to draft 3 packs of 15 cards each. Some people opt for larger cubes to have a greater variety, but 
360 really is the standard. Yeah, it's safe to say we love cubes on this podcast. We've talked about them a lot. There's so many different ways to build them and play them, and you can kind of get that limited magic fix while playing with a group of cards that you've selected for just that purpose, and you don't actually have to, you know, buy the packs and crack them open. And like the beauty of anything magic-related, every cube is kind of a reflection of who made it. Um, so if you're like me and I don't have any creativity, I can just copy whatever someone else did, and I have a little bit of a simulacrum of that person's personality but you know you can really venture off into different areas and tangents you can do you know your own flavor of common cubes like a peasant cube a popper cube we've talked about different very varieties of it but we have a really special one today right yeah we do and ryan we had you on the show way back in episode eight to talk about your grixis cube and it's blue black and red explosion since then you actually had an expanded version of the grixis cube featured as the spotlight cube on magic online um can you tell us a little bit about how that happened and what it was like to have so many people playing your creation yeah, it was a really cool experience. I was contacted quite a bit before it went live and approached, they said, we're reaching out to people that we know have cool cube designs slash are interested in cube. We're interested in using one of your cubes. Um, what, what do you got? What do you think works? And I said, well, if you're willing to not put in any stupid Celestia cards, I got a great <laughs> spread for you <laughs> that I'm sure I could build up to be a 540 card cube. And there was some back and forth, and I spent kind of the entire communication process leading up to that, worrying about when they were going to cancel the project. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, it did go live for a week on Magic Online, which was really cool. Uh, a lot of people were tweeting deck lists at me. Um, some people had some uh, specific cards they didn't like of that. Some of them were more reasonable than others. Um, the cube came out not that long after... Uh, and at a time where I had little experience with Narset Parter Avail. So that mm -hmm. card's just like rancid for cube play. It's so, like I have to cut that one. Uh, there were some arguments against some cards that I'm going to keep in the cube. If you can't beat a true name nemesis, I think that's your fault. But like telling you you can't draw extra cards in a format that's supposed to be super sweet and where like you want to cast, you know, ponder preordained to set up your cool combo deck. Narset was kind of oppressive. Uh, sure. I put in Chains of Mephistopheles because it's like sweet because it's this card from Legends, but on Magic Online you lose everything that's cool about it and then it's just this miserable enchantment. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was a cool experience. Uh, I would change a couple things, but nothing dramatic and I'm, I'm really happy I got to do that. Yeah, it was awesome to watch um, having played the cube in person a bunch of times to see on Twitter people tweeting things about like, oh my god, this is awesome, why did we ever play white and green cards in the first place? Or, you know, share their kind of interesting deck list ideas and people arguing, oh, the combo decks are broken, or you just need to play aggro and the aggro decks are broken. I'm glad that they included you in some of that feedback so you could kind of, you know, hear what they were saying, but also... You know, it's your cube. It's like, I designed all of these things to work. That's actually a huge measure of success if you have multiple groups saying that deck X, deck Y, deck Z are too good. Because that means you got people interested in different things. <laughs> if right. everybody agrees that one deck is too good, that's when you have a problem. The one thing I really loved about it, because I know we talked about it before, obviously before it kit magic online but i got to try it a couple of times um in my spare time and the one thing i loved about it that we that we kind of came through and we talked about it was that it was so deep like for just being three colors there's so many different directions you can go and i was surprised like i don't think you could do that with a naya cube for example right no offense well total offense to naya <laughs> but like 
there's just not as much depth as in the three best colors of Magic. Yeah. So it was, it was really refreshing to see, like, this proof of concept actually deliver. Yeah, I think that's an assumption that is easy to make, and it, it makes sense that you would naturally go that direction. I'm literally telling you this game has five unique defined ways, five elements of the game that come together to make the game a whole, but I'm, I'm cutting 40% of them, you know, and you're like, oh, well, then you have an incomplete game, right? Well, like, no, it's a lot deeper than that. When you break down the ins and outs, you certainly could make a Grixis cube that's not deep, but that was certainly not my intention, and I like to believe that I succeeded in offering a complete game experience. One more thing on this before we get to the spooky cube, and I want to talk a little about streaming later, but... If someone has a cube in a spotlight on Magic Online and they're going to stream their own cube, you should watch them stream it. It was fascinating as you started streaming the first day it was up to watch you draft and as you explained, here's why this is in the cube and here's a deck it probably goes in. I don't know if I want to be in that deck and this card can play in multiple archetypes and just give that pick-by-pick analysis of this is how I think the cube will shape up and how the draft will shape up and oh I see this card so I'm going to force this archetype. I think the people who watched that and I talked to some of them later said they had a better understanding of how to draft the cube because like who would know it better. For sure. Yeah that was a lot of fun to do. My uh, Twitch channel was pretty well in its infancy at that point in Mm -hmm. time but uh, you know I appreciate everyone that did tune in that was a lot of fun as well. All right, so let's talk about the Spooky Cube. Can you give us kind of an elevator pitch on the Spooky Cube? What is this all about? Sure. Uh, Many years ago, I heard about somebody who had designed an Innistrad Cube, but it wasn't cards from Innistrad. It was Innistrad themes with supplements from other sets. However, it broke some cardinal sins of cube design. For example, putting Umazawa's Jite in your cube, that's not a powered cube. What are you doing? Why are you doing that to the people that you say you like and you want to draft with? You know, Have a balanced power level. So that was kind of burning in the back of my mind for actual years. And then <laughs> one day I said, you know what, I'm going to do it better. Um, and this was after the new Innistrad block, Shadows Over Innistrad, came out. So I had a lot to work with. That was something that kind of reinvigorated my interest in the topic. And so I just kind of like looked at a bunch of mechanics. So basically, the cube is trying to really play out of the graveyard and really feel like a triple regular Innistrad draft where all the cards are live and combine in weird and cool ways so no deck really ever feels the same as the last. Um, and if I could sum up the cube in one word, the thing I'm really trying to drive is tension. I want every decision to be very tense. So what exactly makes a card spooky, though, right? Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of spooky cards in each color, but I couldn't think of, like, a deep enough bench maybe outside of black and red of spooky cards. So what what's your definition of that? So I don't have a strict definition. I do have metrics that I'm looking at. So obviously, ghouls are spooky. There is a zombie deck in the spooky cube. But I'm not trying to play like Zombie Master or like Undead Warchief because those are just like dopey creatures that attack and block. Creatures with full agency over what they do and not very dynamic gameplay are not spooky. Uh, information overload is spooky. <laughs> uh, forced game <laughs> actions are spooky because they're very tense. I love creatures that have to attack in this cube. So it's like, oh god, I have to attack. You know, they might be able to block. How do I plan around that? Uh, what do I do when they attack back? So there's kind of a lot going on with that. Um, I do disqualify cards if they have an aesthetic that is strictly not spooky. 
For example, madness is a very spooky mechanic. Obviously, you're going insane. You know, it's very spooky. Uh, But the card smuggler's copter is not. Correct. Extremely not spooky. It's just like a little, you know, Kaladishi helicopter. Yeah. Flying around during the daytime. Everybody wants to own a helicopter. Yeah. So I think I could sum this up perfectly. Lorwyn, far out. Shadowmoor, hell yeah, right? Like, that type yeah. of aesthetic? I mean, like, some of the fairies just in Lorwyn are spooky, though. Yeah, but they're, like, playfully spooky. There's also it's like, just, like, uh, some, of, some of it is, like, based on subtext. For example, I recently added the card Charming Prince. Because if that dude oh, invites Jesus. you back to his place, I wouldn't trust him. He's a rich boy. He's up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I love about the Spooky Cube is it's a combination of art and text and game effect but it's also what story am i telling about this card yeah like that guy like look at this chad oh yeah he's he's clearly nefarious tell me where the bodies are buried charming prince that's right is it one of those things where it's like you know those older horror movies where the the metaphor is like heavily underlined where like every human you're like we're the spookiest ones of all. <laughs> uh, certainly not every human. It's similar to actual Innistrad, where the theme is humans versus the monsters. However, some of the humans are monsters. Right. <laughs> As is true with actual humans. Yeah, just like real life. I mean, I remember in a very early draft of the cube, there were some uh, angels in the Boros colors. Yeah. And you were kind of having an open debate as you were formulating this. Are, are these are these spooky? Is it the humans versus monsters thing? And after some debate, we came to the realization that, yes, organized religion is itself very spooky. Yes. And the angels, though, no longer in the cube. It's like, that's the kind of thing where you can really get behind and argue for what should be and what should be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the archetypes, because that's what kind of makes the cube. So we'll share a cube list in the show notes. I will say that you've got 48 cards of each color, and then... Uh, 60 multicolor cards, so five of each two-color pair and then one card of each three-color combination, as well as a good number of lands and, and some colorless cards. So it's an evenly distributed cube, despite the fact that black cards tend to be more spooky. How did you organize the archetypes and the color map for what you wanted each pair to do? So I put together sort of a map of what the colors are currently doing. Honestly, though, when I first built the cube... You saw a combination of stuff that worked really well, stuff that kind of worked, that after seeing it in action, I thought, I want to add more cards to make this work, and then stuff that just really didn't fit. So over time, it's been shaped um, where every two-color pair is really focused on a unique archetype. There's some overlap in that, Um, and it's also true that every three-color set is largely going to be, if if I see you're playing those three colors, I'm going to assume you're playing an archetype. Mm -hmm. But the cards are also designed to combine, like, madness also enables your graveyard or whatever. I have, like, a creatures in graveyard matters, but then there's also delirium, or also just threshold as a mechanic. Right. So um, I kind of have a breakdown of every two-color pair. If you tell me most of your cards in your deck are one or both of these colors, I'm going to assume that you're playing this archetype. So white and blue is a blink deck, you know, creatures entering the battlefield, flicker wisp, reflector mage, that sort of thing. White black is generic aristocrats. Um, that breaks down in a way where there's a human aristocrats decks and there's a zombies aristocrat decks where those card types matter. And I've actually removed sacrifice outlets that are not these creature types. 
because the generic aristocrats deck i'm fine with it being good however if we're going to be sitting at the table i want people to really focus on one of those two things and not just playing the same aristocrats deck every time so they're they're in white black and they're saying oh it looks like i have an aristocrats deck here but there also may be some other synergies between a tribe that they want to maximize right exactly so you might be like playing diagraph captain because you're a zombie aristocrat sure uh, white sense. red is going to be humans and this is often going to be beat down humans depends what your third color is white green is humans um, more mid-rangey if you're green and white the green creatures you got that uh, trademark green thickness going on you know <laughs> blue black is zombies blue red is spells matter shocker I know <laughs> blue green is something pretty unique to this hue that I actually like a lot this is an archetype after seeing various spells matters decks I kind of thought you know what card I haven't seen in a while Quirion Dryad mm-hmm. so I see it oh, grow yeah. into blue green so the idea is that you have just one creature that gets out of hand over time by casting spells and drawing cards. One of the best decks I've drafted in this cube when we had a paper draft, I believe actually at my house, was a deck that just won with either Chasm Skulker or Lorescale Coatl and mm-hmm. protecting it and yeah. just bashing. And that, that's something where I end up curating based off of some synergies being too good. I want to synergize but not feel just like dumb. So because I have Lorescale Coatl, and Chasm Skulker, I cut Brainstorm because it's a little too low maintenance on that front. So it's kind of like the Mad Scientist archetype, right? You're one creature. It's not Frankenstein's monster because also it's literally a card, but like (laughs) your biological thing is getting stronger and stronger and more overwhelming. Yeah, it's very Simic, right? Yeah. Like building this big experimental crotch or whatever. Adding more arms to the beast. Nice. (laughs) Uh, Black Red is madness. A lot of support for that in Innistrad. Black green is creatures in graveyard matter. So this is your spider spawning Azoni deck. And then red green. This is an archetype I stumbled upon completely accidentally. And I'm so happy I did. It's werewolves. Now there is explicit support. Some of the best werewolves in magic are in the deck. Uh, Daybreak Ranger, Huntmaster of the Fells. But they were just put in because they're spooky red green cards. And then around Corset 2019, is it 2019 or 2020? It would be 2020 has Nightpack Ambusher. Mm-hmm. And with War yes. of the Spark, I put in the three mana Vivian. Yep. So I put in Vivian, mm-hmm. and then I put in Ambusher, and those are just cards that I thought were interesting. There's tension in being able to cast creatures at instant speed. You have more decisions, your opponent has more to think about. And then we were just like drafting one time, and my roommate Forrest just like drafts those cards and drafts you know, the werewolves that were already in the cube. And so he gets to pass his turn and transform his werewolves. And then after one of his matches, he's like, yo, the werewolf deck is really cool. And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) 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 But then I focused a little more and kind of tightened what that deck looked like. And I really like that one. Awesome. So you, you finally got werewolves to work in a, in a draft set. I'm very, like, that should be an accomplishment on Well, the trick is to not do stuff like Moon Mist. It's to just, like, put mm. cards that are in red and green that care about playing on the opponent's turn. Right. It just took them, you know, eight years for them to finally print enough cards where that matters. So. <laughs> Thank God. What of these decks do you see drafted most often? Are there some that just kind of jump out versus some that are harder for players to see? 
I think that the most obvious one is Spells Matter. Sure. Of the archetypes I listed, that's going to be the one you most commonly find in cubes from every power level, from popper to powered, you know. Mm -hmm. Casting spells and having stuff that cares about casting instants and sorceries, there's, there's a lot of that kind of thing. And in fact, in this cube, it's been through many iterations of different payoffs because some are obviously too good, some are less interesting, you want to get the right number of them once you scale the power level back. Um, people have been weirdly timid about drafting humans, uh, so what I try to do to reinforce that is force humans sometimes and just beat the crap out of everybody. Like, hey, why are you sleeping on this, you know? Uh, once I really in, in, uh, reinforced the Aristocrat-style humans deck, there's a really powerful Mardu Aristocrats deck. That deck's cooler. I added stuff like Rally the Ancestors, and suddenly it was more exciting to draft. Super in for yeah. Rally the Ancestors. Yeah. Are there any archetypes that you have wanted to include or try to make work, but you just don't think the support is there? Uh, there's a couple from the infancy of the cube. Um, so I had the angel stuff you mentioned, mm -hmm. but that was never really supported archetypically. Those were just cards. You have to round out white. White is tough. It mm -hmm. has very little enabling graveyards. Nothing is scary. <laughs> there's only so many human cards. And something I had that I tried to make as a deck in white was spirits. The issue that spirits have is... The most powerful spirits, if you're talking about actually building a deck, are profoundly boring. Supreme Phantom is it's Lord of Atlantis. It's mm -hmm. stupid. Like, drafting that deck sucks. It sucks to draft it. It sucks to play. But the issue that spirits had is the cool spirits just end up in somebody else's deck. Right. So you're like, I want Supreme Phantom, and I want Selfless Spirit, but I would literally never wheel Selfless Spirit, and if I don't have it, I don't want Phantom. Yeah, that's fair. And, like, you can't really put in Spell Queller either, right? Like, that that's probably just too good. Well, I had it in. It's the opposite. It, it's too fragile. If you don't have a supported oh, control okay. deck, and this is something <laughs> this is something actually very important to me. I refuse to have blue-white do nothing be an archetype in this cube. And anytime anybody drafts blue-white and so much as wins a match playing Drago, I will cut at least a card from their deck for the cube. Yeah, so <laughs> that was an early factor in this cube, which I thought was fascinating. Whenever you lost a match, you would look at your opponent's deck and be like, I lost to that card, it's out. And then how many cards do you think you've cut from this blue white? Well, you're making it sound very petty and very personal. <laughs> I do want Is it not? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. Sorry. I do want to speak to a philosophy of the cube. Uh, it is the phrase, decks, not cards. So right. when you say, I lost to that card, there's emphasis you're missing there. It's, I lost to that card. It's horrible that you cast Facts or Fiction and the game was over. It is horrible that you got to four mana and you ended the game on my turn. It is unacceptable. Uh, so over time, I just curate the cards where people are windmill slamming them first and winning very easily because the card is in their deck. That, that is one Not of the things fair. that that curation has made it really interesting is that you don't splash in this cube for cards that are outside the, what you're trying to do. Like, you can splash a third color, but generally it's because you get a three-color card that fits into your archetype, or there's something else, like you're in, you know, white-black aristocrats, and there's a red card that is an aristocrats card you want to splash. You don't just grab a red card that is itself powerful, because that's just not how it functions. Right. What in the cube do people tend to underrate, either archetype or card, and why do you think that is? Uh, I think that the big one really is just humans as a mm -hmm. tribe. 
And I think what it is is that people aren't used to drafting a cube that has an archetype that is so flexible while sounding so shallow that goes across all five colors. The humans deck has payoffs that are isolated in a white, red, to a lesser extent black. You touch on it a little bit in green. But the thing about it is that there's just cards that are human across all the colors. Mm -hmm. And if you actually draft the physical cube, you'll notice I spent it took some time to sharpie the word human onto a number of cards that have older printings <laughs> just so it's abundantly clear hey this card is a human and i care to tell you about it yeah though it has been oracled it is a human you you need to know yeah i that's not me errata literally the card is a human it would not usually matter however it is in your best interest to know right. that there are a lot of humans in this cube well, you just can't, like, cough over everyone's shoulder every time they go through a booster from this cube, so I, I get it. There is something magical about sitting down with a cube and during the draft noticing that something is sharpied on a card and being like, oh, I have to read this. What is Okay, now I understand what we're trying to do here. <laughs> Man, there's a lot of altered cards in this cube. Yeah, that's right. All was... altered in quotes. Altered, yeah. There was one that was brought to my attention recently that... I guess I would know if I drafted more Master Set, because there is a physical printing of the card that says this creature type. But Werebear in Odyssey mm -hmm. is not a human. It's uh, whatever it is, I don't know. But uh, in whatever Druid Master bear. Set, they're like, yeah, it's a human that turns into a bear. Hello, Werebear. That's right. <laughs> and it, there's, it just goes to the green-white humans deck. You know, it helps you cast Heron's Grace Champion or whatever. It's one of the larger humans, naturally, on its own. Yeah, so they almost need to go back and errata werebear because there's werewolves, and if you have werebear, why isn't it just a werebear? Like a human oh. druid werebear. That's true. Like, yeah, it's, werewolves are not wolves. They're different. So cards that affect wolves don't affect werewolves, unless they specifically say that, which, of course, many of them do. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting werebear in the bear deck, for example, like a bear tribal deck, because it's not a real bear. I mean, like a werewolf. I don't think you can judge what a real bear is, Christian. I think you need to leave that to the bears. Don't speak for them. Like, let them stand in their truth as to what they are. We still have had a podcast episode about this, and it hasn't been settled. So we'll we'll figure it All out. All right, we'll get there. <laughs> what card doesn't often appear in cubes that may be kind of unique to the spooky cube that you're really excited to get to play with in cube tombstone stairwell <laughs> yeah all right well we might as well talk oh. about tombstone stairwell here we were going to get to it eventually i'm just going to read this card it's a uh, world enchantment from mirage world enchantment for those who don't know means there can only be one world enchantment in play at any time and that means on the table period so if your opponent has Tombstone Stairwell in play, and you play a Gravity Sphere, Tombstone Stairwell goes away. So Tombstone Stairwell is two black black for this world enchantment. It has cumulative upkeep one black. So that means that at the beginning of your upkeep, you put an age counter on it, and then you sacrifice it unless you pay its upkeep cost for each age counter on it. So turn one, it's one and a black, then it's two and two black, then it's three and three black, and so on. So at the beginning of each upkeep, if Tombstone Stairwell's on the battlefield, each player creates a 2-2 black zombie creature token with haste named Tombspawn for each creature card in their graveyard. 
At the beginning of each end step, or when Tombstone Stairwell leaves the battlefield, destroy all tokens created with Tombstone Stairwell, and they can't be regenerated. So first things first, there's no token named Tombspawn. We already love this because it's a non-existent token. Right. That's you a win. Yes. those. So they're just zombies. That, that, that's relevant here. Yes. Uh, this card is very unique. Obviously, it's, it's just nonsense. Like, you probably had to stop multiple times. World enchantment, cumulative upkeep, both players. What the hell's going on here? It's just a mess. Mm-hmm. And the big thing about it that really opens up a lot of design space is it generates tokens every turn that, like, show up and go away. Every other card that does that kind of thing exiles them. These tokens are sacrificed. That means you get dice triggers. That means you get synergies. So, interestingly, unlike a lot of cards like this, they're not actually sacrificed. They're destroyed. So, hypothetically, you could give them indestructible and they wouldn't go away. Sure. We're not up to that. We're not up to that. But I do have ten cards in the cube where (laughs) if we're talking about cutting them or leaving them in, the tiebreaker is because they are quote-unquote combos with Tombstone Stairwell. Ten cards? Ten cards. Okay. Uh, What are the ten cards that are combos with Tombstone Stairwell? Well, there's two that are very similar. They're both humans, so they get the nod because they fit very easily into a human beatdown deck. But Imposing Sovereign and Thalia Heretic Cathar, see, both players are getting zombies with haste, but only yours can attack, and only yours could theoretically block because your opponent's enter tapped. Okay. Pious Evangel or Wayward Disciple, transform card in Aristocrat of Sorts. The idea is uh, you can gain some life, you can be a blood artist there. So that's going to overlap with the cards Blood Artist, Zulaport, Cutthroat. The mm-hmm. idea is you win pretty quickly when both players are destroying tokens every turn. Right. Wonder is a tiebreaker because your zombies fly, your opponents don't. Sir Conrad, well, that's just another aristocrat. <laughs> that's just a mythic uncommon. Yeah, can't beat that one anyway, but you super can't beat it with the tombstone stairwell. Right. <laughs> Diagraph Captain, kind of more the same. It checks on zombies. The tokens are zombies. Yours are also 3-3s, three right. which is relevant. Uh, Corpse that's Knight right. and Wayward Servant. Uh, one of these cares about zombies. One's just creatures. But this is just triggering off creatures entering the battlefield. So a lot of making your opponent lose life really easily. And you do want to win quickly with Tombstone Stairwell because cumulative upkeep means the card doesn't stick around super long. So this card seems incredibly overpowered. I assume anybody who drafts it just goes undefeated. Is that what we're saying? Uh, no. Uh, pretty close <laughs> to the opposite, actually. Um, Tombstone Stairwell is uh, infamous in the cube for literally never being passed and basically never giving the person who drafts it more than one win just almost uniformly won three records across the board which you'd think that's that's stupid why why do you want this card in your cube everybody picks it i can't i cannot just cut a fan favorite like that if it's 15th pick yeah get it out of there but everybody loves tombstone stairwell and i have yet to be able to draft it because i've never opened it right (laughs) Uh, so I believe that in all of the drafts that have ever been done of this cube, I'm the only player to not have won threed. I went three one, but there's a caveat: I never drew it. I played four matches and like ten games and didn't see it in my hand one time. So I feel like the record still holds. Yeah, I mean, you broke it. You figured out the best strategies. <laughs> draw all your other cards. We did it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of an ongoing joke, but this card is actually super, super cool and interesting. And it's a card that I'm surprised more people don't play in Commander 
just because they have access to all of these, you know, aristocrat effects and other things where it seems like it could absolutely be some kind of crazy combo piece. So, listeners, if you are a commander player, highly consider Tombstone Stairwell. And make sure you get custom Tomb Spawn tokens. (laughs) That's right. Make some zombies with haste named Tomb Spawn. (laughs) So... Something I noticed that's really interesting with this cube is that there's not a lot of artifacts. Specifically, there's only like seven colorless artifacts. What's up with that? Yeah, so this is extremely deliberate. The approach that a lot of players have to drafting cube, and if you're someone who explicitly cares about winning, you're very spiky, you like the idea of staying open and trying to find the best deck at the table. So you're really likely to first pick coalition relic you're really likely to first pick mindstone uh signets are uh, kind of a huge example of this you open that card you pick it it's going to go into most of your decks it's mana acceleration which is very powerful but it's not spooky it's not tense i want you to open a pack and say oh god i have to do something yes i want you to pick a card and say what can i build with this I don't want you to pick a card and say, eh, I'll figure it out later. Something something nice will happen. I want you to say, oh my god, <laughs> I need to build a deck right now, and I have to stick to one of these options, and I have to find things that work with it. What works with this? No, that's fair. I was just going to say, if you're going to have that kind of tension and paralysis, can I make a request that you put in decision paralysis from Amonkhet? Because that seems very flavorful, <laughs> even though the card literally is not cute. I mean, there there could be like an uncurated 2,000-card version of the cube <laughs> that was just all the cards that are spooky, but I think the play experience gets a bit drowned out. I think it's really interesting that you describe things that way, because I have absolutely felt the tension playing this cube where I do feel like that. I open a pack, and I say, what deck do I want to draft? And I kind of make that choice right away. And maybe I deviate from it, but I know if I take something that I've just abandoned my first pick. It's not like, you know, you're taking this group of the best cards and you're going to work it out. Which, as somebody who, I think when we started drafting this cube, I didn't have nearly as much cube experience as I do now. It was really intimidating. And actually an excellent learning experience on how to draft this kind of really, um, you know, finely tuned and forced archetype yeah the learning curve is a bit unforgiving (laughs) but uh, if you are interested and willing to learn uh, i have noticed that people tend to get significantly better even just on their second draft when they kind of see what's going on yeah it's it seems like one of those um cubes and like you know actually a lot of good horror movies are like this this is very thematic where you think it's just a dumb horror movie but it has layers and you appreciate that it's just a fantastic thing that says something or challenges you on its own and just happens to be scary. So, yeah, it's like um, it's like the, the witch, that type of horror where it's like, oh, this is a really good movie, and it also scares the crap out of yeah. you, right? So we, we've joked a little bit about the spooky quality as this kind of ethereal thing. Can you make a judgment as to the spookiest card in the cube? Oh, yeah. Um, So this is a card. I mentioned that just being spooky is not enough. The cube is very mechanically driven, but you have to be kind of spooky. And we talked about how Tombstone Stairwell is cool and spooky. doesn't really carry its weight on gameplay, at least from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. But I was talking about a card that is just 
super spooky and just doesn't carry its weight at all, but has not and probably will never be cut from the cube, even though it really should. All Hallows Eve. I knew that's where you were going. (laughs) Yes! Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, All Hallows Eve is a uh, classic. It is a sorcery from Legends. The the critical piece here is the art has literally a jack-o'-lantern, some kind of black cat gargoyle, and a uh, ghost in the art. It's the ghost that does it. Some kind of ghoul in the foreground. Yeah, it's it's unclear as to what's going on there. So All Hallows Eve is too black black for a sorcery. You exile All Hallows Eve with two scream counters on it. <laughs> That's right, scream counters. At the beginning of your upkeep, if All Hallows Eve is exiled with a scream counter on it, remove a scream counter from it. If there are no more scream counters on it, put it into your graveyard, and each player returns all creature cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. So there are other cards that kind of have this effect, but none are nearly as actually spooky as this card. Not remotely as spooky, and tend to be dramatically better for gameplay. Sure. (laughs) You probably know the card (laughs) Living Death, or Living End, the homage from Time Spiral. So that destroys creatures in play in a roundabout way, and then brings creatures back. This one just brings creatures back. And talking about working differently from stuff from Time Spiral, this is also kind of reverse suspend. So when the spell resolves, <laughs> it does nothing. So if you right. want to counter it, you counter it when it is going on suspend. And then two turns later, the last counter comes off of it, and then it just does its thing. You could stifle it, but you can't counter it. You have to counter it when it's not doing anything. Right. <laughs> and then it brings all creatures back from graveyards. Um, there's like a lot of effects that could kill your opponent. You know, getting back your blood artists or whatever, using sacrifice outlets, getting back Kessig malcontents. But it's like the clunkiest way in Magic to do it. But it's like a really cool card. The aesthetic of it's really good. And it's really compounded by the fact that it's from Legends. Because when yes. you look at cards from Legends, you're like, is this even real? This is like a relic. Uh, this is actually a magical item. <laughs> it is. It's uh, what what was it? What were they included in the Zendikar packs again? The, the treasure, hidden treasures, the or whatever. Yeah, Pin tre- Yeah, yeah. That's basically this. Like, oh my god. Um, have you had any rules issues or like gameplay issues where people didn't realize that they didn't counter it at the right time? There's very few counter spells in the cube, so it really just doesn't come up. I've had the conversation a lot, but I don't think it ever was because a game was happening. <laughs> I feel like it's possible the reason I did well in my Aristocrats deck with Tombstone Stairwell is I also had this card in the deck mm. as just an additional way to, to bring my stuff back from the graveyard. The spooky gods were on your side. Yeah, I feel like just I overspooked a little bit, and so as compensation, I, I was able to play well. You collected all of the mystical items. That, that's right. Did you have this card beforehand, or did you have to go acquire this? I spent too much money on this okay. card. Okay, all right. I assume this is the <laughs> card... You definitely spent the most to acquire for the spooky cube. I was teased relentlessly for weeks. <laughs> and I just, I had to buy it. I just... <laughs> uh, if you're I mean, building a cube that's called spooky and you don't include All Hallows Eve, I mean, what are you You're doing? right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> this argument's over. It's settled. Is this also the spookiest art in the cube? Probably. There's some really good spooky arts um, off the top of my head. I don't know that I could rattle one off for you. I mean, we've already talked with you on the show about Maelstrom Wanderer, which I know is... Uh, the coolest. The coolest the and coolest. also very spooky very art. Spooky. That That is the teamer representative in the cube. 
Is there one in each color you'd like to highlight? Because mm. like, I think that there's there's definitely stuff in each color where I'm like, wow, this is real spooky. Like, perfect example, um, Worf Infiltrator, which I thought would take off. I have four copies still. <laughs> um, but that's a spooky art, even though it's not necessarily a spooky card. Yeah. Like, totally spooky. Yeah, it's, it's a madness enabler, you know, and it, it makes the Eldrazi right. horrors or whatever. Yeah, that, that card is quite spooky. Diabolic Intent. That, that's a black card that is cool as hell. It's a sorcery in black. Yep. It's kind of a fixed demonic tutor. You have to sacrifice a creature on top of it. Um, the, the plane shift printing. So what's happening here? Uh, spooky might not be the exact right word. Uh, but this is something that uh, kind of gives me chills from a lore perspective. We can't, obviously, you can't go full spooky. As much as we all want to go full spooky, you have to include some cards that kind of are the glue to make this spooky or better. It's like salt. <laughs> you got to throw some salt in there to like enhance the flavors. So, what cards in the spooky cube aren't really spooky, but kind of are the salt for the cube? Uh, so, the one that immediately comes to mind when it comes to the humans. Um, obviously, like a lot of it is the humans fighting the monster, but even within that, I want to maintain the aesthetic that this human looks like they live in a wasteland. They got up, they haven't showered in months, their life is hard and scary. But the exception to that is from Modern Horizons. It's a card that works so well mechanically, but I just look at it and I want to cut it, and that's Ranger Captain of Eos. There's just a really good toolbox package of one-mana white creatures. It really just works well in the human's deck. But it's just this regal piece of trash. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him so much. Yeah, he's he's riding a lion. Even the lion has like clearly just had a shower. Oh, yeah, that lion smells like shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that's fair. I hate that's it. Fair. So on that topic, I noticed that, like, you have a lot of cards that are been released in Eldraine, and you have like the fairy tale beautiful versions of those. Does that also cause some friction with the the aesthetic theme of the cube, or is it okay to have that kind of fairy tale aesthetic in the cube? Well, the black ones are very scary. Yeah, because uh, black ones are. Foul I'm Meyer thinking of stuff Knight. like Giant Killer. Giant, like Giant Killer, Killer, you're like that's just beautiful. Yeah, pull up, you know? it's kind of beautiful, but it's it's also very fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you would see this on a heavy drug trip. This is not. <laughs> no, this is true. not a thing you yeah. would see in real life, which, which works for me. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, because like all the black ones, I've never seen Falmire Knight. That might be up there for one of the spookier arts of the set. Oh yeah, you know that that is fantastic. Yeah, it's also just really saturated with the with the dark tones, mm-hmm. so it, it really just kind of feels like you're being sucked into it. You know. What is the spookiest magic card out there that just doesn't really fit into the cube? Is there one where you're like, man, you're so spooky, but you just you you're not right for my archetypes? So I actually have. It was a gift from a friend. They did the series of like 800 card boxes from around like Mirage, I think it was, mm-hmm. and they have like a bunch mm-hmm. of card arts on it. And I was gifted the black one, and yes. there's just like a bunch of really creepy looking cards that are horrible, just like wildly unplayable. The one that always comes to mind is the Wretched. Oh, say, yeah. Why isn't this card in the cube? It's spooky. I said, well, the Wretched's not in the cube, and that card's not as spooky as the Wretched. Yes. So the Wretched is three black black for a 2-5 demon, and at the end of combat, gain control of all creatures blocking the Wretched for as long as you control the Wretched. 
Yes. It's just like so many words for unblockable. It's <laughs> <laughs> a two five unblockable in black. That's a rare. It just blows my mind. Yeah, this is some nice uh, Christopher Rush art, who is famous for doing Lightning Bolt and Rook Egg and you know Black Lotus. If you're into that, but who also did All Hallows Eve. So he had a nice thing going in Legends with a lot of good spooky art. Yeah, really diverse portfolio there. A lot of cool pieces. There's another one. I think it's called The Fallen. Yes, the Fallen from the creeps dark. me yep. out. But that card's also just terrible. Uh, the The Fallen <laughs> is legitimately uh, horrifying zombie art. That's one black, black, black for a 2-3 zombie. And at the beginning of your upkeep, the Fallen deals one damage to each opponent and Planeswalker that it has already dealt damage to this game. <laughs> so it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of black pips if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, that's right. This also, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of words for saying blockable. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> kind of the opposite of the wretched here. So I think the best way to kind of capture the cube is for people to go look at it. So again, check the link in the show notes. I'll put up the cube tutor link and you can kind of go see what it is for yourself. I'll also put something in the show notes about what the archetypes are so you can kind of look at it and figure out how it comes together. Cube tutor is nice because you can look at sample packs or do a sample draft, which I highly recommend. But I have one more aesthetic question. So the Dragon Shield spooky sleeves Mm. that are like the headless horseman carrying a jack-o'-lantern. They look pretty spooky. Are you going to sleeve your cube in these, or what's the deal? There's a lot to like about these sleeves. Um, the The aesthetic, the color scheme, it's it's very fall, you know. It's pumpkin spice season. Really got that kind of vibe, you know. This is the only time of year you can have a pumpkin carved on your porch that kind of going for that theme. The issue is... Art on the back of sleeves to be tournament legal cannot extend to the border of the sleeve. And these sleeves have a white border, the least spooky color mm. imaginable, the least aesthetically oh. pleasing color imaginable, and it's ruined the whole thing. I can't do it. I can't do it. I suppose now that I think about it, the Dragon Shield art sleeves are all printed on a white back. Presumably the colors are richer and whatnot if you're doing it on white instead of black. So if they had printed on a back sleeve, maybe it would have worked. But I'm looking at a little image of the sleeve box, and on the side, they they do have a white border. That is disappointing. Would you do one of those things? Like, there's the the trend where you have the card on the back of a clear sleeve, and that becomes the sleeve essentially. You know, like have you seen that where everyone will you know, like right. their deck will be all islands or like all Jace Vrind prodigies or whatever. I I. I this is yeah. a trend a few years ago so it's like there... you have a sleeve and you put two cards in it one of them is like a charging badger <laughs> and then you put right. the regular card you're playing in the deck on the other side that'd be right. pretty hard for a cube i think that's a lot of work <laughs> yeah but then you could just do like you could just have a theme of the spookiest card in magic so you can do something like thought that's a lot of all hallows eves. that's way too many all hallows <laughs> eves i got the one <laughs> All right. I would I would personally move the needle. All Hallows Eve would double in price at least if I bought that many of them. I, I think that's probably right. So the other best way to understand a cube is to crack a pack. We have a sample pack here from Cube Tutor, and let's go through and talk about what the cards are for, and then what's the pick. So the first card in our sample pack is Vengevine, 
which is two green green for a 4-3 elemental with haste. Whenever you cast a spell, if it's the second creature spell you cast this turn, you may return Vengevine from your graveyard to the battlefield. Currently on vacation after Hogak Summer. <laughs> it's starting to pick up a little bit in modern play. You want some pretty specific stuff when you put Vengevine in your deck, Basking the Root Wall, uh, Seder Wayfinder, two that immediately come to mind. I had uh, Survival of the Fist in the cube, obviously it was too good. Had Fauna Shama in the cube, obviously it was too bad. So right now, Vengevine, you gotta work a little tough to make this card work. It's still really powerful when it does, but it's not a high pick in the cube by my estimation. What if you compromised and you have Birthing Pod? Think about it. That's not a, that's that not is... what a compromise means. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, our next card is a card originally from Commander 2017 that got a reprint in Modern Horizons. It's Kess Dissident Mage. This is one in Grixis, one blue, black, red for a 3-4 human wizard with flying. During each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. If a card cast this would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So here we have one of your three color cards, the Grixis version. Yep, so this is the Grixis tricolor card, the only one, and it really plays well with the blue-red deck and the black-red deck. Not so much the blue-black deck, mm -hmm. but you know they all come together. So you have Spells Matter and you have Madness both being rewarded. You're casting instants and sorceries multiple times, and you're playing stuff out of your graveyard. So putting stuff in the graveyard because you discarded it is going to pay off for you. This card is actually on my watch list for cards that might be too powerful for the cube. One way that I balance it a little bit is the Madness deck is really aggressive. So this card doesn't super fit it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Last time that I drafted Grixis Madness, I actually had Kess in my sideboard. So what I was is kind of like a more beatdown deck. And then when I got paired against humans, for example, I would take out some of my more aggressive Madness creatures, board in Kess and removal spells. So this, sure. this card is very good. What would you replace Kess with as far as a Grixis card if you if you were to cut her? Well, that's the problem, is that when you talk about cards that are three colors and are spooky enough and work with the mechanics, you are really limiting the card pool. Um, for Grixis, there's, um, there's one that gives all your creatures in your graveyard on Earth. It's like Grixis yeah. 3 for a 5-5. Five five. Mm -hmm. And all your creatures in your graveyard have on Earth for black and two. It's like kind of inefficient and clunky. It doesn't really do it for me. Like it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to make a lot of decks. I wouldn't expect you to want to play Grixis because you drafted it. But that's one of the closer ones. Uh, the reason that Kess is in, despite maybe being too powerful, is it, it does just fit the themes the best. The next one is a classic. It is Scalding Tarn. It's a land. You tap, pay one life, sacrifice Scalding Tarn, search your library for a island or mountain card put into the battlefield and then shuffle your library yep there's a lot of non-basic lands in the cube you know fetch lands everybody knows about fetch lands some people love them some people hate them they find dual lands there's 61 or 51 51 non-basic mm -hmm. lands and they're all color fixers in the cube and scalding tarn is going to be really good for making your mana work but i put enough lands in the cube where i don't want people to really have to prioritize that it's, it's really similar to like first picking a mana rock right i'm going to pick a land so i can cast all my spells i want you to care about your spells more than that so sure rarely will you first pick a land in this cube well speaking of lands 
the next card in our pack is Sheltered Thicket. This is from the Amonkhet Rare Cycle of Lands. It is a mountain forest, so it taps for either a red or green mana. It enters the battlefield tapped, and it has cycling for two mana. So this is the allied theme of lands that can draw a card. The enemy theme is the horizon lands. That's mm -hmm. going to be the lands that deal a damage to you when they tap for mana or pay one and sack them to draw a card. So they're both kind of drawing a card in some kind of roundabout way. They help enable delirium, they help enable threshold, and they fix your colors. But again, not really looking to first pick a land. I do like that this actually works with fetch lands, though. I mean, that is the one upside to do the allied colors, right? I mean, yep. with Scalding Tarn and Shelter Thick in the same pack, I would maybe not go that direction. But at least it gives you an option for splashing, yeah. you know, one of the five-color cards. For sure. Speaking of enemy colors and allied colors, this is the worst transition ever. Uh, the next card is Lore Scale Coatl. It is one green and blue for a creature snake. And whenever you draw a card, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on Lore Scale Coatl, and it's a 2-2. Two -two. So for gold cards, I largely either have cards that are very significant role players that are difficult to have replacements for that really work in a deck, or cards that explicitly are flagships for archetypes. Talked about the Grow archetype in blue-green. This is a payoff for that archetype. This is your big, thick creature that will get large if unchecked. Um, so if you're trying to draft this deck, you want to pick up this and some of its buddies. So this is a good card to start on. I would jump on this immediately because I would misread it, and I thought it would help me draw cards. And then <laughs> when I went to deck building, I'd go, oh, this is, I'll still play this. But This is one of those cards that, as we like to say, rewards you for playing Magic. Yeah. So it's going to get bigger if you sit there and do yeah. nothing and just take your turn. You can obviously enable it, and you know, with instant speed, card draw effects, it becomes uh, you know, those become combat tricks. Um, there's just a lot you can do. I, I really like this effect. It also makes combat very tense. It does. You attack with this, and your opponent isn't just like on giant growth. They right. could be on opt. Yeah. And opt change the texture of the combat, which is really cool. Yeah. All right, our next card is Ghastly Demise. This is a single black for an instant. Destroy target non-black creature if its toughness is less than or equal to the number of cards in your graveyard. Yeah, pretty pretty clean removal spell. Really easy to get your graveyard pretty stocked. The non-black restriction I don't particularly care for, but I like having this card better than a murderous cut because I like being able to maintain your graveyards. Mm -hmm. In general, you want to end up with like a couple three on the high end, maybe like five removal spells in your main deck. So not a super high pick. I mean, it's probably a lot more reasonable than it was in Odyssey block because you're not just dumping cards in your graveyard. So Yeah, I can, also I can it's not this. the case that there are more black cards than other colors. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you know... Thanks, Torment. In Throne of Eldraine, we're paying four and a black for minus X minus X to a creature where X is the number of cards in your graveyard. So the one mana instant speed version seems pretty good. Come a long way backwards. Yeah. What's the opposite of power creep? Power slide? Yeah. Power slide. We've coined it here. <laughs> Speaking of power creep, we have a red creature that they wouldn't have printed 17 years ago. It's Burning Prophet. It's one and a red for a 1-3 human wizard. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, Burning Prophet gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn, and then you scry one. This is an attempt at bridging archetypes. Uh, it's, it's still not something I've seen played with a lot, but the idea, this is a human wizard, so 
you could have a hybridized human spells deck. I don't think that's really going to happen. I think this is mostly just filler for the spells deck. And honestly, a card that uh, the opposite of casts. I might cut it for something that is more interesting and more powerful for gameplay. You know, Kiln Fiend is kind of scary if you want to put scary creatures in the in the. I worry that Kiln Fiend is on the wrong side of decks, not cards. Sure. I think this is a card that maybe it's possible people are just slow to warm up to. I mean, it was that way in War of the Spark Limited, where at the beginning of the format, people weren't really playing it until they realized the value of that Scry 1 tacked on, where you're just fixing all of your draws for the rest of the game if you're casting any reasonable number of non-creature spells. Yeah, I mean, it is just like a prowess beater, you know? Mm -hmm. It can get out of hand, and you should have an easier time finding your good spells. All right, our next one, oh, I love this one, is uh, Seal of Fire. Single red for an enchantment, and you can sacrifice Seal of Fire to deal 2 damage to any target. So this is a Delirium Enabler. Mm -hmm. It's also just a face-up removal spell on the table. If you're casting a Seal of Fire, you're a little bit exposed. You know, you're not holding on to a Lightning Bolt. It's not a surprise. But your opponent's playing face-up against it, so they got something on the table they got to think about. Meanwhile, it might pump your your Grim Flayer. It might turn on your Traverse the Elven Vault. Nice role player. Do you have the Nemesis printing? Because that is clearly the best printing of this card. I a, strongly bias towards Old Border, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because it's actually cracking a seal, it's burning a stupid merfolk, <laughs> and, you know, it looks like you're cracking the seal. I love it. Just hits all the right notes. It does kind of have that first-person card art where it's like, this could be me. Yeah, I can really imagine burning a merfolk, too. Ooh, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're about halfway through the pack. Uh, any strong takers? Anything that's screaming at you as a pack one pick one so far? You're asking me in a pack that has the only Grixis card? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am okay. strongly leaning towards Cassier. I'm on lore scale Quaddle at this point just because I love the effect that it has on the game. I'm actually on Vengevine, but that's because I've never actually formally played the Spooky Cube, so I just see Vengevine and I'm like... Well, if Vengevine's in this cube, something stupid can happen with it. So yeah. let me see if I can enable that. Vengevine yeah. is a crowd pleaser. So moving on to the rest of the pack, we got Tithe Taker. So Tithe Taker is one and a white for a 2-1 human soldier. During your turn, spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast, and abilities your opponent's activate cost one more to activate unless they're mana abilities. It also has Afterlife 1, so when this creature dies... You create a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying. So creatures that replace themselves, pretty common theme for aristocrat-style decks. This one is, of course, a human. Slots right into human aristocrats. The token is not a human. And then there's a lot of tension with the way it incentivizes your opponent playing at sorcery speed. You have to think a lot about how you want to sequence your turn when stuff costs more if you wait. Yeah, the feeling that you get through your whole body when you've planned out your next turn already and your opponent plays this card is just like, shudder. Yeah, it's like you take your turn and you cast some spell, leave up red. Then your opponent's like, all right, tithe taker, go. And you're like, well, I cannot cast lightning bolt if I want to target that. Nope. So here we are. And honestly, what's spookier than forced taxation? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Says the secret libertarian, Christian Wright. 
Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that guy that heated. That guy Don't personal. slur me. <laughs> whoa. Woof. All right, all right. Uh, our next card is... Oh, I like this one. This is Brought Back. It's uh, rare from Corset 2020, so one of your newer cards. It's white-white for an instant. You choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard, put there from the battlefield this turn, and return them to the battlefield tapped. I am so, so happy every time they print a unique and interesting white card. Because there's like ten cool white cards in the entire history of Magic. So I just get to (laughs) add them all whenever they print them. And this plays really well if you're sacrificing stuff. Bring it back, you know. Fits into an Aristocrat's deck. Mm -hmm. Can also play back against opponent's removal spells. This card aside, what defines an interesting white card? I feel like I need to hear this from a man who could, like, burn every white card in existence and who has sharpied white mana symbols out of cards. Sure. So when it comes to Grixis players, I'm definitely more into red than many of them. So I play a lot of red decks, and that can mean mono-red beatdown. It often does mean mono-red beatdown. And when I look at Savannah Lions next to Jackalpup, I say, those are the same card. Don't care about taking damage. My opponent's not going to win. <laughs> and I get to play Lightning Bolt if I play the Jackalpup. And then white gives me Source of Plowshares, which makes it harder for me to win. What is that about? I, my cards have drawbacks like real drawbacks like Jackalpup I take some damage whatever I got 20 points to deal with but with Source of Plowshares I gotta give up life with Path to Exiles I'm casting Rampant Growth for them why? why would I ever do that? And so I just don't understand why white cards exist yeah well uh, <laughs> this one goes in a basically mono black aristocrats deck so there you go yeah you just splash it a little double white got yeah. some fetch lands no well, I was going to say, like, you know how they say Tarmogoyf's a blue card? Rally the Ancestors and Return to the Ranks are really black cards. Yeah. Like, honorary black cards. They should just change the pips on it. We'll be all good to go. You get it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Speaking of cards that we go from interesting to completely not interesting, the next card is Breeding Pool. We've talked about Breeding Pool before on the podcast. It's uh, what's called a Shockland. It's a forest and an island. So it's a non-basic land that's a forest in and out at the same time. So you can add green or blue to your mana pool. And as it enters the battlefield, you can pay two life. And if you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped. We talked about this card a little bit in our Simic episode with Emma Handy. And I believe where we landed on it is, yes, it's something you want to put in your Simic deck. But this is like MTV Cribs. This is where the magic happens. This is where the Simic yes. are like making all of their new Simic weird things. It's possible lore scale Coatl would have come out of this thing, but you know, it's just a land. It's a fetchable land. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a quick note. So now we have three unique printings of all of the shock lands, mm-hmm. the originally and original Ravnica, then Return to Ravnica, and finally Guilds of Ravnica. And for all of them, there's a hierarchy of the coolest aesthetic to the least cool aesthetic. For all of them, the coolest is original Ravnica. Like, Dissension Breeding Pool really does it for me. For all of them, the least cool is Return to Ravnica. Mm. Just across the board. And it's got to get that out there, because there's no meaningful disagreement. You're either right, and you have that hierarchy, or you have some stupid disagreement that doesn't make any sense. That is a wonderful hot take, and I'm going to have to go look back at the Return to Ravnica lands and see... uh... They're all... Like, all of the Ravnica, like Ravnica, Guild Pact, Ascension, are gorgeous masterpieces. It is unreal how good they are. We do not deserve art this good. 
and all the Return to Ravnica's seem to deliberately be sabotaged so that they cannot be worth as much as the original printing. I'm with you on the original Ravnica block. I'll have to take a look comparing the Return to Ravnica block and the Guild's Allegiance sets. I like the way that the uh, Guild's ones pop. They tend they to have pop. really good color schemes. Yeah, the, they figured yeah. out kind of the printing where we were washed out for a few years there, and they certainly do. But interestingly, did we ever think that Breeding Pool would be the most expensive of the Shocklands? Because it is right now. Thanks, Oko. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Oko time! All right, our next card is an uncommon from Eldritch Moon, Fury Blade Vampire. This is one and a red for a 1-2 Vampire Berserker. It has Trample. And it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may discard a card. If you do, Fury Blade Vampire gets plus 3, plus 0 until end of turn. So this card's cool as hell. And this is less tension in gameplay, more tension in deck building. So a card in the cube, if you're playing Madness, you'll want it for attrition games, is Fiery Temper. Mm -hmm. Plays easily and very well with Jace Friend's Prodigy, which is in the cube. That's one of the more powerful singular cards, but it has a lot of vulnerabilities. But if you want to play Fury Blade Vampire in your deck, it means you basically have to want to attack. And so while this creature does not have to attack, it sure as hell isn't blocking for much. <laughs> so you have to like want to discard cards, and you have to want to attack, and I kind of love that it pushes you in that direction. This seems to always be a 4-2 Trampler, right, in the black-red madness deck that i like it a lot yeah whenever you um, see a one powered creature with trample you know like something else is going on here <laughs> so going to the opposite of vampires we have preacher so preacher is one white white for a one one human cleric you may choose to not untap preacher during your untap step i wonder why well that's because it has another ability that says tap for as long as preacher remains tapped gain control of target creature of an opponent's choice they control this is a card I was aware of, but uh, was not part of my sketch. We were actually playing over here at Dave's place, and we were talking about how no white cards are good or interesting, as we often do. It's just kind of a common one-fifth of magic conversations are about how white cards are not good or interesting. And somebody had mentioned Preacher, and Dave's just like, yeah, I just have five Preachers. That's the kind of person I am. So I acquired a Preacher for Dave, from Dave, sharpied the word human on it, put it in the cube and with sacrifice outlets with it being a human this card has actually played pretty well in the cube i i dig it a lot i'm always happy to be that person who <laughs> a randomly has a bunch of a card that nobody knows about so i really like this card it's quentin hoover art back from 94 uh basically when i started playing he was one of my first favorite artists and the art on the card is just, he looks like this southern fire and brimstone, like, pounding the podium. Presumably he's talking about, like, zombies and Frankenstein's monster. And There's you know. a real Salem yeah. witch trials vibe. There is, he's absolutely. He's going after somebody to draw yeah. the heat off of him. Yeah, because you know, like, At he's got some bad stuff happening. Yeah. It's like a human face shouldn't do that, but you're not <laughs> thinking, like, you know, it's bad art for that reason. You're like... A human face shouldn't do that, but I know that's a human face, and now I'm uncomfortable. The only quibble I have with this card is it's hard for me to look at a card like this and not say, like, yeah, they got the power toughness wrong. This is a zero one if I've ever seen one. <laughs> this guy's not doing a damage to anybody. His words, you do the damage, you know, he gains control of a creature, but... Yeah, you can't you can't turn this He's also not tough attack. at all. If you no. land a punch on this dude, he's going down. Yeah, he's, he's just done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... 
Funny enough, the card Evangelize in Time Spiral, it's a rare. It's the, it has the same ability of gaining control of a target creature, but it's a sorcery that you can buy back, is a reference to Preacher, and it's definitely not as scary as Preacher. So, no. Two cards left in the pack. <laughs> the first one is Tombstone Stairwell. Well, I feel like we've yep. covered that one pretty well. Gotta pick that yep, one. Yep, that's obviously the yep, pick. we're done. Um, that was easy. We'll skip ahead to the last card in the pack. It is Blood Soaked Champion. Love this card. It's a rare from Cons of Tarkir. It's a single black mana for a 2-1 human warrior. It can't block, and it has raid. For one and a black, you can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield only if you attacked with a creature this turn. So, really obvious. It's a human. It jumps out of the graveyard, staples right into human aristocrats, or more broadly aristocrats, and it actually has a synergy that is pretty unique to this card because it's a warrior Mm -hmm. there is very little graveyard hate in the cube and there is one warriors matters card wow Uh, so it's a one mana two one in white from uh, dragons of tarkir i think it is Mm Uh, what is this card even Mardu called? Wo, Wo Reaper. Yep. Wo Reaper. Mardu Mardu Wo Reaper. Reaper. Yeah. Yep. When a warrior or Mardu Wo Reaper enters the battlefield, so it counts itself, I guess how it works, uh, you exile a creature from a graveyard and gain a life. So if you have a sacrifice outlet and a blood-soaked champion, you can actually kind of go to town on gaining life incrementally slash exiling creatures in graveyards. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Love to have those uh, two ones with abilities in the... Uh... Black White Aristocrats deck. <laughs> For the record, we sounded just like that character in the Princess Bride. We all yes. did it simultaneously. <laughs> like, we were like Mawage. Wadu Wawipa. Mawage. So, quick recap of the pack we had Vengevine, Kess Dissident Mage, Scalding Tarn, Sheltered Thicket, Lorescale Quaddle, Ghastly Demise, Burning Prophet, Seal of Fire, Tithe Taker, Brought Back, Breeding Pool, Fury Blade Vampire, Preacher, Tombstone Stairwell, and Bloodsoak Champion. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Tombstone Stairwell. You'd have to pry that stairwell out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah, this would be finally your shot, so there's yeah. no way you're not taking it. Can't pass on yeah. that. So, so we're all going to go 1-3, is what I'm hearing? Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Spooky Cube is a really singular creation. You should be really proud of it. It's a blast to play. Who knows? Maybe this will end up uh, on Magic Online someday, too. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I could make it 540 cards, but... Uh, you, you'd need a lot of work. I do take a lot of pride <laughs> in the project. It is yeah. something that brings me a lot of joy. Before we go, we mentioned earlier your stream. You have been streaming and increasingly regularly. I popped onto your stream earlier this week and you had, you know, six, seven hundred people. No big deal. Um, can you tell us about your stream? Sure. Um, yeah, so I stream on Twitch. The handle is twitch.tv slash Ryan Overdrive. Same as my Twitter. We call that branding. Um, but uh, I just Hashtag. play magic. I uh, kind of am on a schedule Monday through Thursdays right now. Uh, noon to six central time is what I'm shooting for. Um, I might do more than that, which I will update on my Twitter, though the plan is certainly not to do less. I want to stick strictly to that schedule. Um, I will be taking a couple weeks off. I'm about to be bouncing to Virginia for a couple weeks for the Mythic Championship and SEG Con Winter. Outside of that, though, Monday through Thursdays, um, I was streaming Pioneer today. And I was competing. A lot of streamers say Thursday is like just the worst day of stream because of fandom legends. But I had just like 350 people just organically because I was playing Pioneer. So I think that that's been a really good space. 
I definitely intend to stream a lot of that format, at least I, until I can get some cards banned. Right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate um, yeah, any views there. Uh, certainly would greatly appreciate any donations or subscriptions because it is something I am trying to do uh, more full-time. I will fully endorse it. I highly recommend everybody checks that out. I mentioned earlier watching you stream the Grixis Cube. I was really impressed with the way you talk through your thought process. There was not a lot of dead air when it came to decision time. And I felt like I really learned a lot, even though I know you and like talk to you and play magic with you regularly, just listening to the way you explain some of those things. So especially if Ryan is playing a deck or a format that you're interested in, it's definitely worth your time. It's something that, unlike this podcast, could actually make you a better magic player. Well, when we actually play... Yes. Most of what I'm saying is just teasing you and, and harassing yeah. people. So that's it's difficult to learn much in that environment. That's fair. And then most <laughs> of what I'm doing is redirecting that teasing to someone else. Right. So it's a kind of a symbiotic relationship that works very well. <laughs> I would classify you as a mono-red prowess expert at this point. Correct. I mean, you're a Grixis expert in general. But, like, listeners, really, if you want to learn how to play one of, I think, one of the better modern decks now, you should watch Ryan's stream when it's not Pioneer. Are you saying there's not a Mono Red Prowess Pioneer deck? Because I think there is. You'd have to tune into the stream to find Ooh, out. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's called a tease. Mm -hmm. So, Ryan Overdrive on Twitter. Ryan Overdrive on Twitch. We'll put both of those in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to highlight that you're out there doing? Uh, well, I also still do commentary for mm -hmm. the SEG Tour. Twitch channel there is twitch.tv. Oh, they just rebranded it, I think. Uh, did they change it to Star? I think the channel's just Star City Games now. Okay, but I haven't done a show okay. since then. I only know it from half paying attention, to like versus live. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's you. You know the channel. Like you, you haven't not heard of Star City Games. Come on now. But uh, you, if you already had it favorited, which you probably already do, but uh, I'll be on again next year. It's actually my fifth year on the road, so it's also something I take a lot of pride in. That's awesome. That's awesome. And if you live in Minnesota, and if you haven't been to the store, shame on you. What do you do with your life? Lodestone Coffee and Games. This month is actually uh, our third anniversary of being open. Yeah, congratulations. We uh, we talk about our respective LGSs, uh, Labyrinth in DC and, and Lodestone here in the western suburbs of Minneapolis uh, quite often. You will not find a better game store than, than Lodestone. Christian got to come out and spend some time there when he was here for Magic Fest Minneapolis, and we had a great time. Really great environment. Also, really good coffee. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Good luck at the Mythic Championship in Richmond in a couple weeks. We are, of course, rooting for you. Thank you all for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at our handle, at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback on the show. Please tell us what cards you want to remember. We're still seeking a new way to close the show. Our, look, it, let's not say it's our. Like in the script, we say our ideas are not going to be, but it's my ideas. I'm tapped out. So this week, I want to try something new. Ryan, I'm putting you on the spot. Can you sign us off? My idea is actually that every episode in perpetuity, you point out the fact that you couldn't possibly think of a way to close the show. <laughs> and you are begging your viewers to think of something more clever than you can. And you, because it's now just out there uh, in the, the culture and the fandom of the memory jar, I want the viewers to submit ideas that are just non-starters. So there's no way you ever get something you could possibly close this show with other than talking about how you have no idea to close the show. 
Well, I love that idea, but that may just happen accidentally. So, I <laughs> yeah, guess you don't need I help get, on that front. Now that you no. put it out there into the world, you probably get credit for it. Unfortunately, all of our great ideas come from other people for this podcast. So you know, we'll just roll right with it. That's right. Uh, so I guess that's our sign off, everybody. Yeah, uh, stay spooky this week. That's right. Happy uh, Happy Halloween. Spook out. Spook out. Not that. No. Not no. That. You exile a scream counter this week. Right. <laughs>